Hello and welcome to Leeds University Business School's Research and Innovation Podcast. I'm Fergus Dowling, a research assistant from the University of Leeds, and today I'm joined by Selene Bryson, Social Development Lead for the Foreign, Commonwealth and Development Office. Thanks for joining me today, Selene. Thanks, it's great to be here. And today we're going to be talking about the impact of COVID-19 and the impact it's had on clothing industry and the clothing textile supply chains management of modern slavery. Uh, so, Selene, um, first question, uh, just looking at um, how has the pandemic impacted the clothing industry? Huge question. Um, but before I begin, I just wanted to just briefly know that these views are all my own. Um, and they don't reflect necessarily strict government policy, but um, I've been working in government's policy uh, for the past year since uh, COVID has um, had a huge impact around the world. So really pleased to speak about these issues today. So in terms of the impact overall, I think it's really just brought to light issues that were already there, to be honest. Um, the reliance on flexible and docile labour really does just have its limits. Um, and at the heart of any supply chain um, it, it, it is people. So for suppliers and, and retailers, um, we've seen a challenge on both sides. So on the supply side, um, you have obviously struggling to get the raw materials from other countries at the beginning. Um, and to produce those materials and to produce the garments in the manufacturing com- countries. And then on the demand side, there was obviously a drop in demand because, you know, people aren't going out um, purchasing fast fashion products. So you really saw the impact on both sides. And, and what that really means for people is that it's increased the vulnerability across the whole supply chain, um, which is, you know, largely feminized migrant labour, lots of kind of vulnerable dynamics there in many different countries that you can see those patterns. Um, So yeah, they would kind of be my my top top lines on that. And do you think there's anything um, that we can look at that has uh, made a business more um, able to manage the impact? Um, So obviously not naming any businesses in particular, but uh, anything around uh, kind of good resilience or communication or collaboration? Definitely. So the response to COVID uh, by the buyers in kind of European and kind of Western countries was really was varying. And the relationship that they had with their suppliers before the pandemic really laid the foundation for what their responses were during the pandemic. So I've interacted with many companies, uh, many companies that are doing really good things. And one of the main things was that they kept the communication going. So the impact of COVID was very new for all of us at the same time. And a lot of companies dropped their communication with their suppliers. But those who have managed to keep up the communication um, and not delay payments, um, ensure that they're meeting their end of their contract, um, you definitely saw they've had, they've kind of fared better. And of course, we're seeing kind of also changes in some of the the demand has meant that other companies have naturally been able to manage it better. So ones who maybe didn't have money, cash and reserve, or weren't able to switch to e-commerce, um, obviously haven't done as well. So you've seen com- companies like ASOS have acquired others, um, and that's like a perfect example of 
they've been agile and flexible um, to the demand in the market. So, um, so that, yeah, I think communication was one of the key ways in which um, many, many companies responded and have fared better. Um, and then also, as well as communication, I guess, lots of companies sought to collaborate not only uh, with um, their suppliers, but with government policy and have sought to really understand the kind of global system they're a part of. So you may be aware of the, the ILO call to action uh, last year. So the International Labour Organization launched a call for lots of uh, companies and well, basically different players and stakeholders um, across the industry to sign up uh, to like different issues from you know not cancelling your orders to governments providing social assistance, anything to respond basically to the immediate impact of COVID. And you saw lots of UK companies sign up to that. And that was a really good first step of signalling that, at least in voice, that they're, they're seeking to do better. So, so yeah, I do think there were some on the more positive end. And um, thinking about um, legislation here in the UK, um, but do you think that the Modern Slavery Act has provided a, a best practice structure, such as similar to the Ethical Trade Institute's base code, um, at being able to insulate businesses and suppliers um, from some of the aspects of the COVID-19 impacts? So I think what we've seen with COVID is really just a need for stronger accountability mechanisms to level the playing field. What I mean by that is, you know, you have unequal power dynamics throughout the supply chains. And it's not just the buyer has all the power. It, it, it really is different dynamics throughout. Um, but one thing that the Modern Slavery Act seeks to do is to create this race to the top uh, by requiring businesses to be transparent. Um, and we've seen, you know, as uh, recently in January, the Foreign Secretary announced uh, financial pe- penalties um, for companies that fail to meet their statutory obligations. So there is this element of trying to make it sure that we improve those accountability mechanisms. Um, but it, it is, a, like anything, a work in progress. Um, not just, we also adhere to the UN guiding principles of business and human rights. That's another key policy that the Modern Slavery Act falls into. So I think that the Modern Slavery Act has provided a really good foundation um, and it's constantly kind of being reviewed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and from some of the interviews that I've had with other um, brands and retailers and other stakeholders, there seems to be quite a, a common theme that's coming through. A uh, good beginning standard, but I think there's there's a, a desire for, for more. Um, now also thinking about um, the pandemic and, and, and issues around modern slavery, has, has it created any new issues around modern slavery within supply chains? Yeah, I mean, this is what I was saying at the beginning. I don't think there are particularly brand new issues, but they've maybe evolved and taken on a different face. So if you're a worker and you have poor working conditions, um, if, you, if you're working in a factory, therefore COVID might mean that you don't have the right protective uh, gear to wear um, and therefore your increased vulnerability at work. Um, because of COVID, there have obviously been dismissals and increased discrimination um, against people from different ethnic minorities in certain countries, particularly, and especially for those who are part of trade unions. Um, so then if you're dismissed, 
what is your survival strategy? What is the debt that you're then going to incur? And then that leads to modern slavery. You know, it can lead to, um, as well as home workers are also working on a piece rate. They don't get any social assistance. They're not covered in policy. So again, they would be forced further into vulnerability. So all those, I see modern slavery as a kind of a, on a continuum with decent work. So anything that doesn't fall and adhere to decent work eventually could lead to a downward spiral towards um, people being trapped um, in situations of slavery. So, and we've also seen governments trying to, in different countries, trying to recover by maybe changing some of their labour laws and making it easier for companies to buy in those countries um, to facilitate growth. But then that might come at the uh, the expense of labour rights. So it's really, I, I would say it's just taken on maybe a new face. But those issues of people not being paid enough for their work, meaning they have no safety net, meaning they turn to other survival strategies, isn't new. Mm-hmm. In in terms of those um those issues that have been either changed as a result of the pandemic or even some other issues that have arose especially things around the kind of mass unemployment where does the responsibility um lie for protecting those workers that have been affected by those issues good question um i do think that it's important that we see it not necessarily as a a burden and shift of who who thinks they need to do what they need to do but really thinking about the policy that we will adhere to, which is the UN Guiding Principles for Business and Human Rights, um, which really tries to leverage multiple governance systems, um, so both public, civil, corporate. And what I think is really positive about that policy framework um, is that they take us beyond this kind of mandatory, voluntary approach. And, you know, the key language in it is protection, respect and remedy. So... Really, it's everyone's responsibility to protect the workers in their supply chains, for the governments to provide protection through, you know, either cash social assistance or um, the enabling environment, thinking about trade policy. There's there's lots of different ways that we can think about protection. Um, but ultimately, it, it's everyone has a role to play. Mm-hmm. And just uh, last question, just thinking about what, can we take away as the kind of key lessons and um, that can be learned from the pandemic uh, for improved management of modern slavery and global supply chains and and if you have any specific thoughts about government kind of policy whether it's UK or overseas um, and also like business policy and best practice yeah so key lessons for me is that we learn as I said earlier that modern slavery isn't an isolated event but it is on a continuum of decent work so you know, it's important that we see the link between how a company buys their purchasing practices and, and how they buy and how much time they give their supply. It all leads to, and how much money they're paying um, it all links to the worker. Um, and then the that foundation of those purchasing practices um, are really key when it comes to times of stress like COVID. And it your, what you're your actions can lead having unfortunately an um, a negative impact on workers i would also love to see a bit more of a holistic view on social and environmental impact so this year we obviously have cop 26 as a government 
Um, we're really trying to ensure that um, we've kind of put the, we're thinking about the environmental impact of what we're doing and lots of the conversation between labour rights and human rights and sustainability is often siloed. And as we recover out of COVID, or I mean, it's hard to think about that, but as we emerge from COVID, um, I would like to see a bit more of a merger in, in thinking about those dynamics and those relationships. And then this is just kind of a, a classic social development uh, answer, but for me, it's like power dynamics um, are so important to think about and a collective action is really required to change any behaviour. So in terms of best practice, um, a really good example are, you know, I think are enforceable brand agreements. So the Bangladesh Accord that was um, initiated a few years ago shows you that with collective effort, you can have um, a real positive impact to protect um, the interests of many different stakeholders, but it required unions, buyers, local government, national government and companies to, and, you know, most importantly as well, worker voice plays a role in that. So if we can try and learn from that and replicate that in different contexts, that would be that would be really good. So I, I, collective action for me is really key because the power dynamics are just so complex. Mm hmm. Well, it is a um, very uh, interesting time to be in, um, but is I think one of the benefits is maybe is moving forward. We hopefully will see some really good uh, development. But uh, thank you very much for your time today, Selene. Um, it's been very, very interesting insights. You're very welcome. I attended Leeds University many moons ago, so I attended. I was I went to Leeds University, so it feels like full circle. Uh, pleasure to be here. Brilliant. Well, if you're interested in finding out any more about this research, you can visit our project webpage or get in touch. The details are available in the show notes. Mm-hmm.